and uh, y'all, good to see y'all back. And uh, we're going to uh, finish our study through the book of Habakkuk tonight, looking at the, the final chapter, the final psalm uh, of Habakkuk. And then next week, uh, my family and I will be on vacation. Uh, Gary Waters will be leading Bible study here uh, next next Wednesday night, so the regular schedule. And then on the next Sunday morning, the 20th, Patrick will be here preaching. And uh, so uh, uh, appreciate your prayers as we go on vacation and appreciate you supporting these guys that are going to be filling in for me uh, while I'm gone. Now, the, the Sunday night Bible study just won't meet. We won't have the Zoom meeting on the 13th or the 20th. The next Sunday night Zoom meeting will be on the 27th, Lord willing, will be back in that. But uh, So tonight we'll finish Habakkuk, and then in two weeks we'll begin uh, Zephaniah as we're getting uh, working our way through the Minor Prophets and uh, getting, getting deep into the, the study of the, the Minor Prophets. So Zephaniah will be the next book that we, that we look at in two weeks. A um, couple of prayer concerns we've already already talked about a little bit, uh, but uh, y'all remember Nancy Baker is going to have heart procedure. Habakkuk chapter chapter three. Last week we kind of uh, looked a little bit at an overview of chapter three, recognizing that it is a psalm, it is a hymn of praise, a, a prayer that Habakkuk sings to the Lord, but that it uh, uh, was to be written down and given to the chief musician and to be used to sing in public worship, uh, accompanied by string instruments. As we see at the very end of chapter 19, we talked a little bit about the word selah, that we don't know what it means, but it's a musical term and uh, causes us maybe to slow down and reflect on the words that we have just sung. And uh, today we'll we'll look at the content of that song uh, as the... The prophet Habakkuk affirms the past acts of the Lord. Uh, And uh, as we've gone through Habakkuk, we've seen that he is struggling with God's apparent absence or God's God's silence. The fact that God is not acting in a way the prophet might expect based on the Lord's past actions, and that has caused his perplexity and his uncertainty in him to question the Lord. He had heard of the Lord's deeds of the past and uh, and he had feared and stood in awe of the things that the Lord had done for his people in the past. And in light of his past actions, he asked the Lord to revive his works in their days to make it known and do it again. And so Acts chapter, I mean Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 2, he says, O Lord, I've heard your speech and was afraid. O Lord, revive your work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, make it known, and wrath, remember mercy. And then he recounts God's past acts. God came from Taman, the Holy One from Mount Paran, Selah. His glory covered the earth, and the earth was full of His praise. His brightness was like the light. He had rays flashing from His hand, and His power was hidden. Before Him went pestilence, and fever followed at His feet. He stood and measured the earth. He looked and startled the nations. And the everlasting mountains were scattered. The perpetual hills bowed. His ways are everlasting. I saw the tents of Kushan and affliction, and the curtains of the land of Midian trembled. 
O Lord, were you displeased with the rivers? Was your anger against the rivers? Was your wrath against the sea that you rode on your horses, your chariots of salvation? Your bow was made quite ready. Oaths were sworn over your arrows. Selah. You divided the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and trembled. The overflowing of the water passed by. The deep uttered its voice and lifted its hands on high. The sun and moon stood still in their habitation. And the light of your arrows, they went in the shining of your glittering spear. You marched through the land in indignation. You trampled the nations in anger. You went forth for the salvation of your people, for salvation with your anointed. You struck the head of the, of the house of the wicked by laying bare from foundation to neck. Selah. You thrust through with his own arrows the head of his villages they came out like a whirlwind to scatter me. Their rejoicing was like feasting on the poor in secret. You walked through the sea with your horses through the heap of great waters. When I heard, my body trembled. My lips quivered at the voice. Rottenness entered my bones and I trembled at myself that I might rest in the day of trouble. When he comes up to the people, he will invade them with his troops. Though the fig tree may not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, though the labor of the olive may fail, and the fields yield no food, though the flock may be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength. He will make my feet like deer's feet, and He will make me walk on high hills to the chief musician with my stringed instruments. In times past, God had powerfully been with His people. He had been with His people as they journeyed from Taman to Paran during the time of the Exodus and in the conquest of the Promised Land. And Habakkuk asked the Lord to do it again. Revive your work in the midst of these days. And, you know, just because God has done something in the past does not obligate him to do it in the future. Just because he has promised one of his people something does not mean that that promise necessarily uh, is transferable to all people. Uh, but Habakkuk refers to the Lord's past actions in his prayer. It's, you know, it's okay in our prayers to refer to what God has done in the past as an example or as a precedent for what we would like for Him to do in our day, recognizing that He's not bound, uh, uh, you know, He's He's not bound to uh, or obligated to do for His people today as He led in the Exodus. But Habakkuk uses as an example of what He is asking God to do in the presence. And even if He does not. He does not act today as he has in the past, does not make him any less good. And that's where Habakkuk ends. And so he, uh, he begins reciting God's past works, God's glory. Uh, God came from Taman, the Holy One from Mount Paran, verse 3. His glory covered the heavens and the earth was full of his praise. God's glory saturates all of creation. And the terminology here that he uses in verse 3, the heavens and the earth, is reminiscent of 
Genesis 1-1, where we read, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And so uh, Habakkuk is saying that God's glory has saturated all of creation. His glory has covered the heavens. The whole earth is filled with His praise. God's glory and praise fills heaven and earth. Nothing in all of creation is cut off from the glory of God, from the manifestation of God's glory. And He shows His power in nature. Uh, His brightness was like the the light. He had rays flashing from His hand, and there was there uh, and and there His power was hidden. Before Him went pestilence and fever followed at His feet. He shows His power in nature and flashes of lightning and in pestilence and fever. Nothing can resist the power of God any more than Pharaoh could resist the plagues and the pestilence that were a part of the exodus. And uh, Habakkuk goes to continue to describe God's actions on the behalf of Israel as he was leading them out of Egypt through the wilderness and into the promised land. Uh, We read in verse 6, He stood and measured the earth. He looked and startled the nations, and everlasting mountains were scattered. Perpetual hills were bowed. The whole earth trembled before the power uh, of God. And the shaking of the mountains removed every obstacle and made a way for God to manifest His self to His people. And all the nations that stood in His way trembled. I saw the tents of Kishon in affliction. The curtains of the land of Midian trembled. And, uh, and so God has manifested His power in all of creation using the, uh, the nations and using the, uh, the, the forces of nature to display His glory and to, to, to rescue and deliver and provide for His people. And, and verses 8 through 15 speak of the conquest of the land. Conquest of the land during the time of Joshua as, the, as God drove out the nations that had been inhabitants of the land of Canaan. And you remember that uh, uh, the inhabitants of Canaan were exceedingly wicked. And yet God was merciful. God was patient with them. He told Abraham when he promised him the land that it would be 400 years and that the sin of the Amorites, the Canaanites, had not yet reached its fullness. And his people, his descendants, would go into Egypt. They would be in bondage. They would grow into a mighty people. And when the the sin of the Amorites, the sin of the Canaanites, reached its fullness, God would use Israel, the nation of Israel, the children of Israel, the descendants of Abraham, as the instruments of his wrath, the instruments of his judgment, as he brought them into the promised land and drove out the nations that were inhabiting that to give that land to his people. Um, and so verses 8-15 through 15 speak of the conquest. Moses has died. Joshua is now the leader. And under the leadership of Joshua, uh, God leads Israel into the promised land and he drives out the inhabitants. He, they, they conquer the land and they settle in the promised land just as God had covenanted with Abraham. And now that very land, that very land that God drove out the inhabitants and settled Israel in that land, now that very land is filled with injustice. And that injustice and violence is being perpetrated by the descendants of Israel, by His people, His chosen nation. And so, uh, so that's uh, part of Habakkuk's dilemma. And, uh, and so he, 
He speaks of the rivers and God, how God, God used the, the, uh, the, the Jordan River in a miraculous crossing as the people entered the land. Uh, the Exodus began with the parting of the Red Sea and it culminated with the piling up of the rivers of the, the, the waters of the River Jordan as the nation walked into the promised land on dry land across the, the Jordan River bed as the waters were piled up as a heat. And the army of Israel marched through the promised land, overcoming every obstacle. Walls fell down. Mighty cities were defeated. And after the great victory at Jericho and the uh, victory at Ai after uh, uh, a momentary setback because of the sin of Achan until the sin of Achan was dealt with, uh, then Ai was conquered. And when that happened, all of the, the kings of the southern part of the land of Canaan came together in an in a, uh, alliance. They formed an alliance against the nation of Israel. They had heard what had happened to Jericho. They had heard what happened to Ai. And so instead of staying in their cities and their fortifications, waiting for Israel to come and, and uh, conquer them, they formed an alliance and they came out to actually five cities, five kings uh, from the south came to meet Israel out in the open. Uh, they'd seen what happened to the walled city. That wasn't successful. So they, they, they come out with great numbers, with superior military force and military technology, better weapons, better, uh, more equipped soldiers. These five nations or five city-states come together in an alliance to attack Israel. And, uh, and they, they come out. And when Israel went out to meet them, we read about it in Joshua chapter 10, as Israel came, the, 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 these kings came out with their armies to meet Israel, the Lord sent huge hailstones. And, uh, uh, and, and, you know, that's almost what, what Habakkuk describes here is the, he talks about the, uh, the light of his arrows, the shining of his glittering spear as lightning and hailstones came, and uh, uh, like arrows and spears from the Lord. And, Joshua tells us in chapter 10 that the hailstones killed more enemy soldiers than arrows and spears. More enemy soldiers were killed by the hailstones than were killed by the swords of Israel. And Israel began a pursuit. So these five city-states, these five kings had come out against Israel. As they came out, the Lord sent lightning and hail upon them. And there was a great defeat and they began to run away. And as these five armies began to flee, these defeated armies, the sun was beginning to set. And Joshua did not want for these enemy soldiers to be able to escape and regroup and reconstitute and come together and fight another day. But if darkness fell upon the battlefield, then chances are these defeated enemy soldiers could escape and find places to hide and places to regroup and come out against Israel. And so Joshua prayed to the Lord that the sun would stand still. That the sun would be still. That the sun and moon would stand still so that Israel would have light to destroy the fleeing enemies so they couldn't fight another day. And as a result, the Lord caused the sun to stand still for a whole day. 
And uh, Habakkuk speaks about that in verse 11. The sun and moon stood still in their habitation. The light of his arrows, they win in the shining of their glittering spear. The Lord marched through the land in indignation and He trampled the nations in anger. He went forth for the salvation of His people, for the salvation of His anointed, His chosen nation. And He struck the head of the house from the wicked by laying bare from the foundation. And so the enemy came out against Israel with mighty armies, effective weapons. They came out confident in their military power and in their weapons technology and they expected an easy victory. But instead, the Lord slayed them with their own weapons to show His greatness and His sovereignty. Verse 14, you thrust through with His own arrows. Uh, he fell into His own traps. The head of His villages, they came out like a whirlwind to scatter me. Their rejoicing was like feasting on the poor in secret. But you walked through the sea with your horses through the heap of great waters. And so there Habakkuk recounts the mighty acts of the Lord on behalf of His people. As He drove out those nations before them and settled them into the land, and now, hundreds of years later, injustice is back, and now it's being perpetrated by the people of God, by God's chosen nation, by the nation of Judah. And so Habakkuk thinks of the Lord's past actions and he looks at the circumstances in which he lives, the injustice, the violence that his people are perpetrating, and Habakkuk trembles. Verse 16, when I heard, my body trembled. When I reflected on the mighty acts of the Lord in the past, my body trembled, my lips quivered at the voice, rottenness entered my bone, and I, and I trembled in myself. And so Habakkuk knows uh, God's actions in the past, and when he thinks of God's Word to him in the present about the future, he sees that this power that God used on behalf of His people, driving those pagan nations out of the land, will now be turned against His people. You remember we began the book of Habakkuk with him asking, how long will you look at this injustice? How long will you look at this violence in the land? And God said, I'm raising up the Chaldeans, and the Chaldeans are going to come as the instruments of my wrath, just as Israel came as the instruments of his wrath, driving the Canaanite nations out. Now the Chaldeans will come upon Judah and drive them out. All this power, all this might that God has described that he used on behalf of his people will now be turned against them because of their sin, because they have violated His covenant, because they have filled the land with violence and injustice. And Habakkuk trembles. His whole body shakes when he thinks of God's mighty acts and now sees all that power turned on His people, His nation, the nation of Judah. And so how will we respond? He trembles. And then he asked that I might be able to rest in the day of trouble. How will he respond in the day of trouble? How will he respond when God comes upon his people? When God invades Judah with his troops? Habakkuk prays that he might be able to rest in the day of trouble. When God comes to the people, when he invades them with his troops... Habakkuk asked that he might rest, that he might wait in quiet confidence. And he can rest in the fact 
that God's actions are a result of God's justice. God's actions are a result of Judah's violence and injustice. And God is coming in righteousness to make it right. The trouble will be a result of Judah's disobedience, their violation of the covenant. And the day of conquest is a day of reckoning, a day of justice, a day when Judah will get what they deserve. Habakkuk had began wondering, how long? How long? Will I cry and you will not hear? How long will I cry out to you violence and you will not save? Why do you show me iniquity and cause me to see trouble for plundering and violence are before me? Strife and contention arises. Law is powerless. Justice never goes forth. The wicked surround the righteous and perverse judgment proceeds. How long? How long will the Lord allow these conditions? And the Lord has answered. He will come in justice. He will come upon the people. He will invade them with his troops. And Habakkuk trembled at the thought. But ultimately he came to rest in God's goodness and God's power that I might rest in the day of trouble. And Habakkuk also rests in the knowledge that those armies that the Lord uses to bring trouble on His people will also have their own day of reckoning. God said, I'm raising up the Chaldeans. Chaldeans will come as my instrument of discipline. And then we saw in chapter 2 that they too will have their day of reckoning. Uh, Both the oppressors within and the oppressors without, they will all receive God's justice. Though they seem to be all-powerful, they too will have their day of trouble. And so Habakkuk asked that he might rest in the day of trouble. And then in verse 17 and 18 and 19, he comes to embrace. Remember we talked about the fact that the word Habakkuk means embrace. And he embraces God's sovereignty. He embraces God's justice. And because he embraces the fact that God is good, that God is powerful, that God is just, that God is sovereign, and all that God does is for His glory and for the good of His people, Habakkuk is not only able to rest, but he's able to rejoice in God's sovereignty. Even in difficult circumstances. Verse 17, Though the fig tree may not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, Though the labor of the olive may feel, and the fields yield no food, though the flock be cut off from the fold, there's no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. You know, in Deuteronomy chapter 28, as the people were preparing to enter the promised land, God promised that as long as they were obedient, as long as they obeyed the covenant, that there would be agricultural abundance, there would be health, there would be prosperity. Uh, There would be fruit, there would be uh, abundant flocks and herds, and their wives would be fruitful and productive. And all of these promises came if they were obedient. But uh, Habakkuk knows that God's people have not been obedient. They've been unfaithful to the covenant. They cannot expect an abundance of crops, an abundance of flocks and herds. Habakkuk has been told that there will be a period of struggle. There will be a time of trouble. There will be suffering and deprivation. 
And so Habakkuk understands that God is coming and He is coming in justice. He is coming in righteousness. He is coming in power. And he asks that he will rest in the day of trouble, but not only that, he commits that he will rejoice. The fact that there are no figs, no grapes, no olives, no sheep, no calves, does not mean that God is not good and that He's not the God of salvation. Habakkuk knows even in, in, in spite of these difficult circumstances, God is still good. Even though there's no figs, no grapes, no olives, no sheep, no calves, God is good. And He is the God of salvation. And not only can I rest in Him and rest in His sovereignty, but I can rejoice. Habakkuk knows that even in hard times, the Lord is the God of His salvation. He knows that God is His strength and that He will able, enable him to persevere and endure in a way that brings God glory. Verse 19, The Lord God is my strength. He will make my feet like deer's feet. And He will make me walk on high hills. Habakkuk will be given the ability to walk in hard and difficult places with ease, with the, the glory and grace of a deer. And so Habakkuk has learned to trust in God even in the midst of difficult circumstances. And Habakkuk is, a, is an example for us, an example for all the people of God. And his song of victory can remind us of the Lord, the God of our salvation, that gives us victory and even empowers us and strengthen us, strengthens us in the times of adversity. Habakkuk is singing this prayer to the Lord, but God is also speaking to us through Habakkuk. Uh, and so Habakkuk here, he models prayer and trust. He's speaking to God, but God, but it's Scripture. This is also God's Word to us. And Habakkuk, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, models one of the ways that we ought to pray when we're in trouble. Uh, we can recount and remember God's mighty acts in the past, recognizing that just because He's acted in the past that does not bind Him or obligate Him to act in the present, but we can recount His mighty acts as we request Him to revive those works in our day and ask, knowing that He is not obligated, but coming to trust that He is all-powerful, that He is infinitely just, that He is infinitely good, and we can recount His mighty acts in the past to strengthen our faith in the present and for the future. Um, and so Habakkuk models how we ought to pray when we are in times of trouble. We can speak to the Lord and remind ourselves about His mighty acts in the past and His infinite glory and His infinite justice. And he also models the way that we're to trust in the Lord in times of suffering and injustice. Habakkuk knows that the Lord will act, and he knows that when the Lord acts, he will indeed overcome all of his enemies. He will bring justice 
He will pour out His wrath. He will bring that which is deserved. And Habakkuk also knows that the identity of the enemy is complex. Habakkuk has wrestled with the trouble, with trouble that comes from two directions. From within Judah, within the people of God, within his own nation, within his people. And he's cried out against the sin that comes from the people of God, the enemy within. The injustice within the nation of Judah. Judah! That chosen nation, that chosen tribe is paralyzed by injustice and violence. Judah is engaging in the exact behavior that God has said He will not tolerate and the sorts of behavior that God has promised to punish and to eradicate. And so Habakkuk is living in the midst of an unfaithful unjust and violent people. His nation, His people are deserving of God's wrath. And so there's this injustice from within. And Habakkuk also knows that the Chaldeans are violent and desperately wicked. He knows that the Chaldeans are godless, yet God is raising them up to discipline Judah. And Habakkuk is being told to trust in the Lord even when the punishment seems worse than the crime and the punisher seems worse than the offender. Just trust me. (laughs) Trust me. And, uh, And so Habakkuk helps us to learn to trust the Lord even when we look around us and we don't understand. We don't understand His ways. We don't understand His timing. We don't understand why He allows what He allows. Habakkuk helps us to simply rest in the day of trouble. And so in these three chapters, Habakkuk learns and then he models for us a full confidence and a reliance in God's justice. And he models trust in difficult and complex situations. Habakkuk knows that he must trust God and he must trust Him in a world where both Judeans and Chaldeans are richly deserving of God's justice. Habakkuk's a book when there's no easy solutions. Habakkuk is a, is a book when the ethical situations are complex, when there's no good guys, and the way forward is not easy to see. And so Habakkuk helps us in uncertain days to rest and even rejoice in the Lord. And so in days like Habakkuk where there aren't any good guys, the way forward is hard to see, everybody's deserving of God's justice, there is a lot of uncertainty, there's questions about God's ways and God's timing in days like that, and and in days like these that we live in, we can find rest in the fact that God is a God of justice and that the God of justice is also the God of our salvation. Verse 18, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. God comes in power. He comes in justice. And His power will be poured out in perfect justice and wrath.
And God's power also comes with strength. The Lord is my strength. God's power comes with the strength for His people to endure every challenge. God gives us the power to live by faith, trusting in the God of justice and trusting in the God of our salvation. God gives us the power, the strength, and the person of the Holy Spirit to give Him glory even when we endure suffering. And He gives us the power to persevere, to endure with joy. And Habakkuk teaches us we can live by faith, having joy and giving Him glory because He is the God of our salvation. And we can give Him glory because He has come to us in Christ Jesus. He's come to us in Christ Jesus. Jesus lived a sinless life and then He died on the cross and the greatest injustice ever perpetrated. No one was more innocent than Jesus and no one ever suffered greater than Jesus. Jesus suffered the greatest injustice ever perpetrated. The sinless Son of God, the faultless God the Son, falsely accused, arrested, condemned, and executed in the greatest injustice ever. And God poured out on Jesus the full force of His justice and His wrath. God poured out His wrath on Jesus, giving Him what we deserve for our sin. And then God raised Him from the dead to show that sacrifice was accepted and God's wrath has been turned away. And so, we learn to rejoice in the Lord of our salvation who gives us strength. When we turn from sin and trust in Jesus, we're born again to new life, everlasting life with God. And we're also born again to a new life that is at odds with the world around us. When the kingdom came, when Jesus inaugurated the kingdom of God, He did not bring to an end all pain and suffering and injustice. The kingdom of God is already, but not yet. And when we're born again to new life, we're born again to a life that is in opposition at war with the, war, the world around us. But we can learn to trust God, to live by faith, to experience joy, and to bring Him glory in a world that's marked by pain, suffering, and injustice. We can live by faith, knowing that He will come and bring ultimate justice. But as we wait, we know that His power enables us to wait with rejoicing. Even though the fig tree's not blossoming, even though there's no fruit on the vines, even though the olive fails, there's no flock, the flock's cut off, there's no herd in the stall, even though our circumstances are difficult, we can rejoice in the Lord and, and, the, and, and have joy in the God of our salvation because we have a great and sympathetic high priest we have a high priest who understands our weakness. We have a high priest who knows what it's like to suffer injustice. We have a high priest who's able to help us, whoever lives to intercede for us, and a high priest who is ever present with us in the person of the Holy Spirit. And so those who trust in Him are kept by faith, by Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and no one will ever take us from His hand. And we, like Habakkuk, can say, though the fig tree may not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, 
Though the labor of the olive may fail, and the fields yield no food. Though the flock may be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength. He will make my feet like deer's feet, and He will make me walk on my high walls. Habakkuk teaches us to wait, to rest, to trust, and rejoice, even in difficult circumstances. And this was a song to the chief musician to be, to be sung with stringed instruments. And so Habakkuk closes out his, his, his word from the Lord to us with a song, a prayer to the Lord inspired by God. All right, questions about Habakkuk. Questions, comments, Habakkuk. All right, now let's, let's pray together. Lord God, we, we live in uncertain days. Lord, we live in days where even within the church there is uh, injustice. There is uh, compromise. There's unfaithfulness, disobedience. And Lord, we, we look and outside the church there's injustice and violence. There's pestilence. There's pain. And Lord, like Habakkuk, we look around and wonder why there could be so much injustice and disobedience. Lord, we wonder how it can all work out. How can there be resolution? There doesn't seem to be any good answers, any good guys, any good that can come from the days in which we live. The way forward seems so cloudy and uncertain to us. And so Lord, we thank You for the prophet Habakkuk. For how he learned to rest in Your sovereignty, to rejoice in Your salvation, and to wait for Your justice. And Lord, we pray that Your Spirit work that in us. Grant us faith. Help us walk by faith and not by sight. Help us to not be distracted by our circumstances, but to focus our attention on You. And Lord, we pray that You teach us to rest in Your sovereignty to rejoice in your salvation and to wait for your deliverance. And Lord, we pray that you would make our feet like deer's feet, that you would enable and empower us to walk in difficult days, steady, steadfast, and in a way that brings you glory and that brings us joy. 
And Lord, we pray that You help us to be Your witnesses in dark and difficult days. Lord, help us to be faithful to point folks to Your power, Your sovereignty, Your grace, Your goodness. And help us to be faithful. Help us to grow in holiness. And Lord, grant us a testimony that is pure and attractive to the unbelievers around us. Lord, we pray that You would make us faithful in speaking Your truth, speaking Your gospel. We pray that You would help us to speak to those around us in a way that is clear and true and and compelling and compassionate. And Lord, that You would be pleased to make it fruitful and You would add to our number those that are being saved. And Lord, we pray that even when circumstances are difficult, when there is no fruit, there is no reproduction, there are no visible signs of life, Lord, we pray that You would help us to rest and even rejoice and to wait. Help us trust in You even in dark and difficult days. Lord, recounting Your acts in the past, coming in Christ Jesus, dying in our place, raising Him from the dead, exalting Him to Your right hand, and sending Your Spirit to comfort, to strengthen, and to hold us. Help us rest in that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you.